We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Broad Ellen Road after William has to be removed at halftime to catch a flight to Cape Town to shoot a car commercial and then go to Chile to shoot a commercial for a grocery store. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Look, if you've got commercial obligations, you have to follow up with them. And uh, it turns out that actually at halftime, uh, William could not play football anymore because he had commercial obligations all over the world that he had to go tend to. So you can't, you know, you can't really get mad at a guy uh, for jetting off around the world when he's contractually obligated to do so. And he did give us a half of football. So, you know, thanks to him for that. Uh, I kid, but it is a joke wrapped in a truth because we will get into the issue of uh, Willian basically, uh, you know, just flying off to Dubai to go do Dubai stuff, presumably contractually related, but um, yeah, image rights related. We'll get into that. But yeah, and then coming back, playing uh, one half of football, getting a muscular injury after 14 hours of flights back and forth. And uh, yeah. That, that's how it works. Seems fair to me. Anyway, uh, we'll also get into uh, Nicola Pepe and the reaction to his red card. Hopefully, touch on the actual football and, uh, you know, not a lot of good stuff that came from the actual football. It is weird because this is a draw away to Leeds, which from a result standpoint, maybe not so terrible, but from a performance standpoint, I think it feels pretty, pretty sour. Um, one of those games that looks and feels a little bit like the Watford game under... Emery in that I think we got outshot something like 25 to 9 in this game and uh you know even with the the 10 men I think at halftime it was 13 to 5 so still not great and ultimately there's just a lot of issues right now that are bubbling up and, and hopefully we can we can discuss them in a level-headed way if you would like to hear them discussed in a not level-headed way the instant reaction pod is on 
Patreon. Obviously, we'll be talking about um, shaving your privates later in the podcast as well. So with that having been said and all of the hullabaloo out of the way, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, and Tim is on Twitter. Stuberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul is on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Hello, my my mute button got sticky. Woohoo! Well, maybe you need to shave the stuff that's around it, and then you have better Don't access. Don't get me to started, Elliot. You, know, you know, what? know what I'm like. I do know what you're like. <laughs> it's probably best that I do not get. I you got started. a whole bit. If you're interested, a whole bit. Let's um let's save it and see how it develops. All okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sound good. Um. So yeah, this was. This is one of those games that I think there's a lot of issues that, that are, are going to bubble up to the surface, and I want to be able to work through them, I think, in some kind of chronological way. And, and obviously, one of the really interesting things about this game, Clive, is that we start the game against Leeds with a back four, with Aubameyang Central, with Joe Willick getting the chance. I mean, in a way, if you could have canvassed Twitter and said, what are some of the things that you'd like to see happen— a lot of them did. I don't think you would have picked Willian starting, but Pepe started on the right, Oba through the middle. Willick had a more advanced role, and we can get into why that did or didn't work so much. And, um, you know, Tierney got to play as a fullback, Bellerin as well. The, the Willian on the left thing, I think, is probably more a result of Bukayo Saka having played so many minutes over the international break and not wanting to risk yeah. him any further. I mean, we're already risking Tierney with the minutes that were put in him in the international break. So, by and large, it would have been what people wanted to see. And I would even suggest for the first 10 minutes or so, it looked okay. We pressed. We were sort of effective. They had some bad turnovers. I think the problem with this team, though, is when people realize how limited our ability is to hurt them, teams feel more emboldened. And and I think after the first 10 minutes of maybe a little nervousness and curiosity about us, Leeds realized we can't hurt them. They played their game. They pushed us back. And it all went from there. And really, it is one penalty goal in the last five league games for Arsenal now. So that is that is really going to be the main talking point. But as far as the shift, this tweak in structure and approach and lineup, Clive, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to say it wasn't what we were all begging for. Was it Was it the kind of thing that you were hoping to see or, or maybe something different? <laughs> well, hey, look, shape is one thing. Having players to affect that shape is another. And, you know, I've said it before, I keep saying it, it's not the shape, it's how you play. So what was interesting to me in this game was I felt we made a distinct effort to play in their half, uh, particularly early on. And he, I, I always watched the first couple of minutes. I watched 10 minutes of the game today. That's all I could manage. <laughs> because I, the first time I saw some sprinting races being lost, I realised what I saw yesterday. Was, I didn't need to see any more. And so we fire it into their, into their half quite early. We press them. Gabriel has a go pressing down the left-hand side and pings it forward early. And we tried to turn around and we tried to press them with our front four diamond. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. If that's, if that's a policy, I'm okay with it. Um, we're not we're not great pressing team, if we're honest. I don't think our players are that way wired. And once you get past that first line, you're now into our midfield too, right? So unlike Old Trafford, where we can go and get people and get up tight to them, we're into Shaka and we're into Sabias. Um, and and you, you can almost see the moment when Leeds realised we were shit. When, and it started when Tobias started passing the ball out for no reason. And then there was just one little five-yard race across the centre midfield that Shaka was involved with. And he was two to one favourite to get there first. And he lost it. And like you could almost see Leeds think, actually, these guys are not that, that great. Let's just up the intensity and see what happened to them. And as soon as that happens, we become disconnected. And And... 
we just can't seem to manage the intensity of of the games at the top 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 level consistently right so particularly when we're giving the ball away which we did in this game we started giving away sloppily we went long early on and so unless we can retain control of possession and build up um actually we start to look very emery like right and that's because we are we still got the same tenant midfield in there we've added a 106 year old william on the on the left hand side We've got a young kid who's 19 who's turning into our best player that was not fit to play or not ready to play or not in condition to play. And if he did play, I think the result would have been different. Aubameyang, I don't know, he must be his brother out there playing at the moment. So we're just a little bit out of form. And Pepe's, well, we, we, well I'm sure we'll get onto him. I don't want to do him now. So I like the idea. I like the structure. But it's how you play. And Joe Willock's a great example of this, right? He's obviously was sent out there slightly maybe detailed to sit on Calvin Phillips a little bit and try to break. But this is where the intelligence comes in, you know. You want to break, but you've got to time your break. You've got to know when to stay connected to get near people, to create wall passes, and then go on the next phase. So what he was doing was he was taking up, rather than fourth midfielder, or th- sorry, rather than third midfielder positions, he was taking up second striker positions and really crowding that area without really offering any connection. If William's not connecting and Pepe, who was not bad, cannot connect in, and Barryang's having to connect, we immediately lose build-up and goal threat. And so I like the idea of the front four diamond. I really do. And I, I actually called it beforehand. I actually called Willock that he could be the one to break into spaces that Leeds will give us. But I, I felt we lacked a level of intelligence and I tweeted out in early in this game, boy, we are dumb. Hmm. But I didn't realise how dumb we would end up being. So that tweet's really got big. Hmm. But I sent it after 25 minutes. And of course, there's so many dumb things happened in the second half. It <laughs> looked fresh. It, it, looked, it looked fantastic. It looked like this guy knows what he's talking about. I just saw a few dumb things where we were overrunning passing lanes and no, not being there for wall passes and, and just like dumb passes out to play. And I'm just thinking, what are we doing? This is so basic. And so, the, <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going with this, Elliot. It just <laughs> it felt good. It was the we all wanted it, but I'm but maybe it was the wrong time to do it because we didn't have the players in the team. I heard you guys say it yesterday, so we didn't have party, we didn't have Saka, we didn't have Louise. So you're taking out our best three ball progressors, and we we end up with a team that couldn't progress the ball. Yeah, and I mean, look. Paul, there were some moments early in the game that were encouraging. Um, I, I would say the first 10 or 15 minutes we turned the ball over. We didn't turn the ball over. We turned them over. We, we got the ball off them. Bad passes, pressed. There was one where, um, actually, in terms of players who maybe weren't great in the game, uh, I think Shaka picked the ball off, got it to Willick in the transition. Willick played it to Bellerin really nicely. First time running in behind. Bellerin got it to Aubameyang. Aubameyang took a shot that he kind of chopped at it wasn't quite perfect but it is what you'd want it was high press it was ball recovery it was good quick movement and it and it creates a chance and I I think unfortunately I don't know what it is about this team but it seemed like we could only do it for about 10 or 15 minutes I think the other thing is Leeds sussed out where the space was between those midfielders they dropped the guy in 
He was able to beat the pressure by dropping in. And once he dropped in, and I don't know the Leeds players very well, so I don't know which is the guy who dropped in, but he would turn, and then he had lots of space to run into behind our press. And that that is the trick with pressing. And because we don't do it a lot, I don't think we looked super confident in it, especially doing it from a slightly different structural setup than than we commonly do. So, Paul, I mean, is, is that what you saw, that there was some effective early pressing that once Leeds kind of figured out how to get by it, we didn't really have a good answer for it. And then and then it to me, it looked like we shifted and, and just decided to go fuck it and play low block. And and once we played low block, the attack really, really suffered. So uh, I mean I it, like Clive has an eye for detail. Um so I can't quite quite um uh determine the quality of our effort as you allude to there, Elliot. But but my reading of it, I can persuade myself we stayed in the game in the first half till about the 26th, 27th minute, uh, something like that. But after that, like if you look at their actions, if you look at where we're playing on the pitch, uh, we basically run out of legs for the rest of that half. Um, I think in the 27 minutes up to that, we it, it's very interesting. Like, it, it's a shame it's such a, a shitty scenario to have to be discussing because it is actually very interesting how we played we in many ways we said we'll play leads at their own game uh we look to progress the ball up pitch quickly uh we look to press i mean uh, the the movement you talk about there elliot uh between chaka pepe bellerin willock uh the ball out to um to obama yang who who screws it wide i mean that starts with Actually, Chaka pressing all across their back line. Mm-hmm. I, I did a thing on the Twitters on this um, for like a 10-second run that pushes it out to the sideline that that squishes the guy who who spurts it out to Ceballos who starts off the move. So there's some method to our, our madness. But as you also allude to, we're not nearly as good pressing as leads are. And they've got the legs on us anyway, because that's what they train for. So guess what? At some stage, you run out of gas. You can say it's 10, 15, 27 minutes. It's probably kind of a descending curve. And then we hit the cliff around, in my estimation, about 27 minutes. It's kind of scary, um, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 20, 27 minutes of pressing is what we got in us? <laughs> it is. It is. Especially when, I mean, he knew, he must have known that going into the game. But when he looked at his options of how to play leads, this was his least scary approach. Um, and I think in the first 27 minutes, we kind of matched them, uh, not for quality in the final third, not for their combos in the box, but we got into the box and we got into situations and we kind of matched them in the middle of the park. Uh, the Willock position, I mean, uh, I know some people have said he's a terrible number 10, um, but he probably wasn't playing as a 10 in my reading. As Clive says, Job A was to sit on Calvin Phillips because that's what all teams do. Stop Leeds playing out. It's a 4-1-4-1, so kill that one. Um, so he did that a lot, and then he was around to uh, jump on balls that that fell loose or, or scrap or be part of the pressing. I'm not saying he was great, but he was doing the job, and it wasn't the job of the connector number 10. He was there to be in a position to, to wreak some havoc, and he did some of that, and he had some moments. Um, I think Pepe, Pepe, interestingly, in the first half, is our 
second highest touch player and he's right up there. He's, he was more involved than I thought he was at the first pass. And I think he was mostly pretty good. I mean, I'm not saying he was great, but he had his moments. I think he was certainly trying. He was putting himself about. He was covering back. Um, you know, it, the, the first half would have been vaguely pal- We also had the interlull legs more than Leeds did. And then the other interesting factor is we started the second and half right the way we started the first half. Heavy uh, emphasis on pressing. So we were going to have a second half that looked a lot like the first half and try and hang on as long as we could in terms of pressing. Um, So that's more a description of behavior and approach. Like the other thing that just catches you is we always play it out from the back, but we didn't. Uh, There was almost no passing between holding and... Uh, Gabrielle. One so pass. The, so, Holding played one pass to Gabrielle in the game. One. Yeah. Now, I didn't pick that up while watching the game. That didn't seem like that's, that sounds bad, but I don't think that was where our dysfunction, our dysfunction was. I mean, it was very clear policy to hit Pepe with long balls off Leno. Um, again, not saying good or bad or different, but there were interesting characteristics for the first half that were significantly different. What, what worries me a little bit is that, that Arteta looks at certain teams. He won't look at a, a Bielsa team or a Liverpool or a City without making a, a very specific plan to play them in a way that maybe is not our style. Um, and maybe that's good and bad, except... You know, we, we still have this issue that our plan A doesn't wa- work often enough against enough teams. And, uh, you know, we, we have pressed on occasions. This is one of them. Against United, we pressed. Against City, we pressed for a while. Uh, and that's kind of how got, they got their goal. Mm. Um, so it, an interesting game tactically in how we set out. Uh, and it all goes... Well, we were running into trouble towards the end of the first half, and then, of course, it goes tits up four minutes into the second half. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I've heard it put forward that we looked like we ran out of steam press-wise at about a half hour. I just purely, purely do not buy that at all because I, I cannot really believe that we somehow no longer had the ability to run around after a half hour. I mean, even after an international break where these players were under a lot of pressure, I mean, I look at a pass map in the last sort of 20 minutes or 15 minutes or so of the of the first half and the beginning of the second half, and what I see is a team that was starting to get bypassed with, with leads sort of figuring out our pressure and a team that switched to a low block, and we became a low block team. There are a couple of interesting screenshots going around from before Pepe was sent off where we are defending in our box and defending on the edge of our box and all the players are packed in there and we became a low block team and we didn't really have a way out. And I mean, Tim, if you, I don't care which pass map you want to look at, but like one of the things that you would say if you're going to switch to a back four is you put more of the onus on the midfield to progress the ball, to maintain possession, to build the play. Whereas what we've been doing this season is letting the the back line pass it around a little, draw teams onto us, get it out wide, have more of the play building up with overlaps in, in the wide spaces and overloads there. And granted, Chaka completed like 23, 24 passes in this game in 90 minutes. Ceballos was in the 20s as well. Mm. Um, Willick completed no passes to Shaka and two to Ceballos. Shaka completed no passes to Willick and... Um, two to Ceballos. So there just was not 
that connectedness between the three men that were sort of nominally in midfield, they weren't even really that involved on the ball. And, and while the Pepe and William conversations are going to wind up probably dominating this podcast as we go forward, I, I think we have to really have a, a, a long discussion about what is happening in midfield. And, and, and I understand we don't have Thomas Party and Elneny has sort of become first choice per se, but like none of these players... And I thought Ceballos did okay. And, and you know, I mean, if I had to pick one out for a little bit of of credit, I guess it would be him. But Tim, it still feels to me like a lot of the problems with Arteta's football come down to the way he deploys the midfield and the way the midfielders play their roles. Because I can't remember an Arsenal team where the central midfielders were playing you know twenty twenty five passes in the game. Unless you think, by the way, that's that's a red card enforced thing. I mean, I think Granit Xhaka had played something like. 18 passes or something in the first half. So he was on pace to, to yeah. not not a, a spectacular day to begin with. So, I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on how that midfield sort of failed to gel and, and click yeah. and control the game? Yeah, definitely. I, I think Clive used the word disconnected, and I think that's exactly what happened at that kind of 26, 27-minute mark that Paul was talking about. In, in the commentary, Gary Neville said something, probably around about the 35th minute, he... He was praising Xhaka and Ceballos for the work that they were doing in Arsenal's box in cutting out pullbacks. Um, and, and he was right to do that because they were. And I think particularly with Ceballos, that's a really underrated part of his game. Mm. Um, and, and and that's all very well. But what, what that meant was all of a sudden Xhaka and Ceballos were on the edge of our area about 50 to 60 yards away from our front three. And and that's a, a bit of the reason I'd perhaps cut Willock some slack as well, because, you know, you, your connectivity, like, you don't connect. like So that puts him, what, let's say, 40 yards away. That's, that's difficult. That's difficult to find a player from 40 yards away, particularly when you press like Leeds do. And, and Elliot, you, you referenced it, that, you know, Leeds dropping a player into the space. I think that's exactly me exactly what happened here i think the first 15 20 minutes sabios looked really good and he was in the leeds half and he was almost in like the number 10 space and because leeds go bielsa's tactics have always always been go man for man and so what games against bielsa teams become is is individual matchups um, which, is, which is why, you know, Bielsa's teams are always about the unit. And if one part of the unit collapses, they're fucked, yeah. um, basically. And why it's all about, like, their physical endurance. Because what they do is they turn a game into 10 one-on-ones. And, and Ceballos was kind of winning his in that first 15, 20 minutes. But what Leeds did, what Leeds had the confidence to do, even having been battered 4-1 in both their last games, and this is the both the strength and the weakness of Bielsa as a coach, because when it works, it's great. And when it doesn't, it's horrible. Is he was the one who said, okay, I'm, and again, like you, Elliot, I don't know precisely which player it was. Um, it, it might've been Hafinha. Um, I can't remember, but they dropped a player in behind Shaka uh, and Ceballos because they saw that their positioning was aggressive and the Arsenal mm-hmm. started with that aggressive intent and that Ceballos was getting, was, was getting some, some, um, some joy. And so they went, okay, why don't we just sit someone behind them then and say, let's see how you deal with that. And, and Leeds got a couple of breaks a couple of times where they had someone in that like that number 10 spot who was getting space. And so what happened was Xhaka and Ceballos both dropped right back, 
right onto the edge of their own area and that is where the game became disconnected from our forwards and 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 this is a problem anyway we've got very um and particularly with Xhaka and Ceballos together they're both players that like a lot of touches think about when was the last time can you visualize like a one two between two Arsenal players can you visualize <laughs> no, that one not. touch it like it's not is it it's like when you think about you visualize Arsenal at the moment and the way they progress play and this is why I feel sorry for all of the forwards and I won't pile on uh, Willian or Lacazette um, because they're all underperforming and that tells you something it's because it's kind of torturous isn't it like the only person that hits them quickly is David Luiz um, and and Thomas Partey has got that kind of I think that that sprayed pass out to the out to the flanks, which is, you know, pretty effective. But Sabios and Jacker, like Jacker needs three touches before he gets that pass off. And Sabios likes to and I'm not criticizing him for it. This is just the player he is. You know, he's a he's a five aside player. He likes a couple of touches before he gets the pass off. He likes a bit of a bit of a, a dribble and, and movement, which which is which is fine. He likes, he likes to feel himself, got, doesn't he, Tim? He yeah, yeah, which, which is fine if you've got players around you who aren't granite Xhaka who are kind of the same so like I, I i think we have trouble with ball progression into the final third anyway um and then what happened was Leeds were just they were aggressive and they were confident and they did something that we almost never do um and they just put someone in that space but when we brought Saka on, all of a sudden we put someone in that space behind the Leeds midfield mm-hmm. and we gave them something to think about um, and and so I think that's where it broke down for us. Basically, Leeds Leeds did something aggressive, front-footed, and our response was to collapse back onto the edge of our area and completely cut off from our forwards. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny. I have not been a big Shaka fan for a long time. And there are games where I thought he was actively bad. I thought this was the end of Shaka for me, not because I thought he was actively bad, but just because I saw a player who just has nothing left to give us. I mean, he's he's not progressing the ball quickly. He can't win the running races. He never really could. He doesn't protect the back line. He He's not able to drive the ball forward into the space between the lines when there's someone there, not that there's ever really anyone there. Like, I mean, at least El Nenny has maybe got that, that pop, that one touch, yeah. you know, yeah. wall pass in him. Yeah. And, and that gets so, you out of trouble. Clive, I want to get your take on the midfield, but Paul, you had something real quick on, on the last time we played a one, two. I think maybe you remember one. Was it, was it? Was it 20, 2014? Is that because that's coming to mind? The, the Norwich goal? Is that it? No. So I think Tim's really hit on something because the th- the difference between them and us when we got into the final ter- third and into the box in some ways for that first, that glorious first 20 something minutes was their combo plays and their triangles and their one twos. And we did have one moment and we referenced it on already. We're going to wear out our one moment. That that moment where Sabias picks it up, pings it to Pepe, who does a wall pass back to, I don't know if it's uh, uh, Chaka, but uh, Bellerin, Willock through to um, our uh, Aubameyang is a really nice little section of pe- play and it pops out just how we never do that. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's it's Bellerin playing the killer ball. And, and I mean, that's the, the funny thing is Bellerin leads us in, in assists and expected assists by quite a chunk. And, like, maybe Bellerin should be our number 10. Because at the end of the day, like, I think we dismiss just the fact that sometimes doing things that are hard is hard. Like, Mesut Ozil is not a great player anymore. But, like, he can still occasionally play the ball into the forwards, which is not easy. Like, the guy who can do it on our team right now is 
Hector Bellerin. No one else can. The pass Hector Bellerin plays for Saka for our best chance of the game is the best pass in this game. And one of the best passes you will see on the run, driving back to front, uh, in behind the defense, right through to Saka. I mean, you need players who can play that ball, and we we don't have them in midfield, that's for sure. Clive, I, I mean, before we get on to what I think are sort of the blockbuster topics of, of William and Pepe, um, I mean, do you, do you have a thought on how the midfield sort of wasn't able to access the forward line, which which made it a lot easier for Leeds to to push us back and, and grow into the game. I mean, the last 20 minutes of the half, they outshoot us 9-1, to one, which is a prelude for how the game's going. Up to that point, it had been 4-4. Four to four. They finished the half 13-5, to five, but it's the last 20 minutes when they bypassed the press, pushed us into a low block, and, and, and we just became completely dominated. And possession's pretty even for the first 20, 25 minutes. There, shifts, there are periods yeah. where we have more possession. And then it all goes belly up. So as I was saying, Clive, what's your thought? That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it was a great run and drive by um, Bellerin, by the way. Um, but when he looked up, what did he see? He saw a darting run from out to in from the left-hand side. There was only one pass to play, and he executed it brilliantly. So the two go hand in hand, right? He doesn't play that pass unless somebody's smart enough to come off the sides, leave his, leave his zone and go into a place that wasn't occupied by Aubameyang because he dropped in. It's exactly what Aubameyang was doing before he signed that contract, by the way. So um, that's a good movement. So with the, with the midfield, they have, and Tim's, you know, he's, he's got some of this actually, but Shaka and Tobias, they have personality traits, right? So Shaka thinks he's like the, the captain of the ship, and I've got to go everywhere to keep the ship afloat because I've got a responsibility in my game and I'm going to try to pin holes. But actually, the way he does it is by dropping away. And he drops into the back line. And I wonder, and again, I've been working today, so I haven't had a good chance to have a look around, but I wonder if he was part of the five channels defensively and pushed in a lot more, a lot earlier. All that does is it just stops us from engaging. So our best set of midfield performance for me of the season was at Old Trafford. And what did they do? They engaged. They went out there and they got their men. They got the space. They smashed people, took it off them, and engaged and drove the ball forward. Tobias and Shaka, are not, they're not a good mix personality-wise. So Shaka drops away and starts to panic much too early. So straight mm-hmm. away, you lose the midfield space. He just yep. drops in. He yep. just drops in, drops away from danger, stands there, arms behind his back. We fucking stand up straight, will you, and just go and tackle people. And then Tobias, what he does when he's under a bit of stress, is he goes and gets the ball. He just goes and gets it. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. I'll go over there. Give me the ball over here. Give me the ball. Touch, touch, touch. Run it to my man I'm going to pass to. Bring the cavalry with me. Pop it off. Get back to me. Get back to me. But he's always looking slow. He always looks like a press target to me. So straight away, you've got two players, no distances, not engaged, no partnership. And Joe Willock's standing there thinking, where the hell should I stand? What should I do? I'm going to stand on Calvin Phillips. I tell you what, we've got the ball. I'm going to break. We're a bit junior. I'm going to break and see what happens. But when he breaks, you've got the three men now completely disconnected in a big, long zigzag line. One deep in front of the back line where the centre-half should be saying, get out of here where I don't need you. Get out of here. Go on, go and do your job in midfield, please. The bias, can you just get on a bit of rope and stand between, you know, just stand 10 yards away from Shaka? And Joe, can you just be available? Can you be available for when we get it for bits and pieces? Second ball from the front man, or when I get it, can you be there for a wall pass? All three of them disconnected, doing the wrong things, unintelligent, no technique, no speed, too many touches on the ball. It's awful. 
it's absolutely awful, you know. And then, and then we then we get Willian who comes in too soon because he sees a, a space in there. When we do progress, it need him out wide. He's not there. He doesn't hold his whip. Pepe's doing okay, but none of us are sure. It's boxer rebel stuff, mate. None of us are sure when the ball goes in, what's going to come out, right? So, and Fabian's looking around, and he's just looking around, thinking, "What do I do? I, I make a run, I make another run, and eventually he runs. His body language drops." And he then looks quite um, disillusioned with it all. So there are traits amongst these two. And I'm afraid we're in a situation here where we have a, you know, we have a, when we spoke about the Cronky thing last week, Elliot, and we said the line that stood out to me in the article was, we're going to hire a manager for the next three to five years. And I was quite excited by that line, actually, because that means we're into a, we're into a project. We're into a project which is pinned back by some of the players that we have that we can't move, that can only do certain things. And when you're in a situation where we are one of the best out from the back teams, suddenly not doing that. And the reason why we don't do it, we don't trust our centre midfielders to take the ball in a half turn against a very strong sprinty pressing team. So we have to coach around our own team, give them the ball, try and press them. We're not good at that. So we can't do that for long. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll drop into five channels. And so we lose middle of the pitch and we get what we got. No build-up, no control, no consistent threat. I think we're at a stage in this project or this process where we have to decide who we are. Mm. Are we going to be a build-up team from the back that counter-attacks? Or are we going to be the four-two-three-one team that does the old Wenger tick-attacker stuff? And I think he tried it on the wrong day with the wrong people available. But I think there's a moment coming now. There's a fork in the road. What do you want to be? And my personal view is I'm disappointed in some ways now in hindsight that he did change it. It's a tough day for him with preparation, etc. Because now he's made a change. He's now in what I call the Arsenal washing machine. We've got him now. You've changed something. Now we're going to spin you around. We're going to spin you around. We're going to judge you on player selection. And I wish he'd have stuck to his gun because I saw Emery going to the washing machine. And once he was in there, it was never coming out. Yeah. It was never coming out clean. So now Arteta's in the washing machine. He's made a change. And I just hope he's strong enough to stick to his guns and do what he wants to do and be judged accordingly, not what we want him to do because mm-hmm. we're not getting enough shots in the game. The whole thing is really hard to understand. And, and we'll come on to, to Arteta's comments after the game because I think there are real questions about the man management side of things right now and whether these sort of non-negotiables have become arbitrary uh, rather than sort of being uh, the this sort of clear culture has some ambiguity settled into that in terms of the way different players are handled and, and just the value destruction that's going on at the club too, in terms of some of the players that we have. I, you know, I think that you, you look at this game too, and what you see is an Arsenal team that just wasn't willing to commit the same players to attacks that Leeds was, you know, look, Leeds is at a period in their development where they are at the peak of the Bielsa experience. He's got the players he wants playing the roles that he needs in a system that's set. <clears throat> they understand their role, they understand the system, and they look like they get what they're supposed to be doing. And when they attack, the attacks are quick, they're committed, there's a lot of resources attacking. The one thing is, though, they can be hit back. But we refuse to commit the same number of players to the attacks that we could make, and we struggled to build the ball through midfield because we have limitations in our talent there. And we don't move the ball quickly enough. And, you know, I think Pepe was okay in the first half, but none of these players really move the ball as quickly as they should. And at the end of the day, Leeds had these sort of fast, committed attacks, and our response was sort of muted. Um, 
I, I think we saw a team that Arteta put out there and instead, you know, I think it was almost a trade-off. He said, I'll play a back four with a midfield three, but the trade-off is I'm not going to commit as many players into the attacks when we make them. And so they were doomed to fail anyway. Uh, I do want to get to Pepe and I do want to get to Willian and I do want to get to sort of Arteta's man management and where he goes from here in the room. He's left himself uh, in terms of how he handles player issues because I thought his his comments about Pepe certainly point to that situation hitting rock bottom to some extent. Um, but I got to say, if we're going to talk about bottom, we should probably talk about your bottom or at least your bottom half or at least the the proper way to maintain your bottom half in a presentable manner. Uh, I have been asked about topiary designs. Look, it is however you want to do it, guys and gals, however you want to do it, but you got to do it. And, and, and so what we're going to do just real quick, I'm going to cut this down to 30 seconds. This is a manscaped moment. This is the moment. It's going to be the holidays. You can wear all the fuzzy sweaters you want. Don't wear a fuzzy sweater when your clothes are off. You can use it in the shower. It has a battery that lasts forever. Ceramic blades, so you never have nicks or cuts. I mean, let's face it. It sucks to talk about things that are embarrassing. It just This is just awkward, super awkward. But we all do it. And we do it in bad ways. We use old razors that have been sitting in the shower for ages or tools that aren't designed for it. This is designed for it. Then you can do your eyebrows, sideburns, chest, whatever you want. But this thing just works great. Wet, dry, battery-like for days. Great little guard that comes with it. It's just a really beautiful product designed to do something you have to do. And you get 20% off in free shipping if you use our code ArsenalVision. So go to Manscaped.com, use ArsenalVision. That's it. Manscaped.com, use ArsenalVision. Get the savings, get the free shipping, get yourself cleaned up. Sweaters for Christmas, fine. Sweaters downstairs, less fine. Fair enough? We done? Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. Everybody enjoy that? Guys, did you enjoy that? Clive? Tim? Paul? Is that fun for you? Still squirming, but yeah. You're you're still squirming? Yeah, we got it lovely. out of the way Thank quick you this for time. That. I thought that was a pretty quick, pretty quick effort to get to get it done. But all right, well, whatever. You know, th- these things are going to get progressively more awkward until everybody has bought the thing. So, <clears throat> um, look, uh, Paul, I-, I think that we have to now get on to the to the Willian and, and Pepe thing. Let's touch on Willian first uh, because chronologically, I think it's interesting. Like, I-, I am sort of struggling to square this, and I said this in the instant reaction pod. Unfortunately. In the world of Twitter, things are binary. So they're either something or they're nothing. They can't be sort of something or kind of nothing. They're something or they're nothing. If I had to choose whether William going to Dubai during COVID, breaking a COVID protocol, and we can get on to whether he fully broke it or not, but he certainly broke it enough that Arsenal were, quote, investigating the trip and that he was spoken to and it was handled privately. So there was some discipline that was felt was needed. I mean, there's a social media post of him with Salt Bay. They're not exactly social distancing. They're not exactly wearing masks. It puts all his teammates in jeopardy. Um, it puts, you know, the, the continuing league season in jeopardy. I don't know that I think handling it behind closed doors and starting the very next game is a level of disciplinary response to that that I would say is commensurate with these sort of non-negotiables in the way some other players have been treated. I I think we're going to get a chance to contrast that very thing with the way Pepe has talked about after the game. David Luiz has had multiple red cards that have killed his team, penalties that have killed his team. Um, you know, the Ganduzi and Ozo situation speak for themselves. So, Paul, I mean, in terms of Willian, obviously being a terrible player we never should have signed, which is obvious and doesn't need to be discussed, just in terms of the non-negotiables aspect of this and the man management aspect of this, do you see, as I do, that this feels a little bit arbitrary and is starting to feel a little bit less like clear-cut culture and a little bit more... Um, 
playing favorites to some extent. I'm not saying like, again, the binary is it's something or it's nothing. I'm not saying it's everything. I'm just saying I think it's something. Uh, look, it's something. Do I feel the same way as you do? I definitely don't. <laughs> I've, wor I've worked that out over the last uh, few days and, and when this topic comes up. Uh, look, these the the these these rules, um, you know, you can, it ain't the Ten Commandments. We're not there. We don't know the transgressions. Like if you have a guy who does everything you wanted him to do, to the letter, and then does something dumb, you probably don't treat him the same way as somebody who's always kind of goofing around and then does something dumb, right? The, and. The P we will never understand the rules, right? We're mm -hmm. not there. We know 10% of the facts. Um, we don't know the makeup, the, the situation, what led into it, um, how they contribute within the team. Like, Chak is this great guy in the training, training ground, this, that, and the other. If he has a transgression, uh, it's probably not the same as somebody who's half-hearted, half-efforted, etc. And, and the people within the squad under, will hopefully, if Arteta is communicating clearly, understand the subtleties, the, the rules, the sub-rules, etc. It's very difficult. We're like leaning over the surgeon saying, no, you don't want to snip that, that vein. Uh, that's what... That's what you said you'd never do. In in the heat of the moment, you make the decisions you make. Um, and he, the other thing with the non-negotiables is he's running out of players, right? If he non-negotiables too many more players, like even the squad isn't going to be thinking, oh, I really wanted you to bin Aubameyang because him and his brother were doing this or th that or the other because they're running out of bloody players. It's a bit like your destruction of value, right? How many more players... My, my, well, lucky my, for him, William has no value, so he could have just yeah. paid Reese Nelson. He's, or he's free. <laughs> he's just expensive for three years. Yeah, like like the Pepe one is the one that really. Uh, well, we'll come. I have that, a yeah. lot to say on. Yeah, we'll. Uh, we'll and I know that. we're coming on to it, but my short version is: I don't think what we're doing is wise. Uh, I don't think he was our worst player in the first half there. I actually think he was fairly decent, especially compared the, compared to the alternatives for who had a good game in the first half. And when you want to put out a talented 11, man, you, you know, the other thing about non-negotiables is they're more important to create an example right up front, right? You don't want to shoot all your soldiers in the First World War for running away from mustard gas, mustard gas, but you want to shoot the first three or four. You, you, you know, none of your troops are going to say, oh, why didn't you keep shooting all those other guys as the war goes on? Because guess what? You're going to need some soldiers when they come at you. So I, I think it's very that. difficult for us guys on the sidelines, knowing 10% of it, to get... Uh, I understand the discussion. I just... I'm not going to lean into it with the same... Uh, D demand for equal treatment based on not loads of facts, not loads of understandings of the rules, and the fact that as time goes on, you can't bloody bin every player. And, uh, uh, you know, we're coming into the Christmas season. He's going to start running out of players. Like, yeah. they'd be throw throwing, tearing okay. down walls to to keep the fire going in December. So, 
this is this is in the area where only those involved can work out is this fair is this wrong is this right it gets into a very gray area that's no longer black and white I, I guess I mean the one thing that isn't compelling to me is the argument that you take a hard line early and freeze out some players and meet out justice that is absolutely non-negotiable and then because you've got too many players you've frozen out, meted out justice to, and otherwise are suffering due to injuries or whatever, you stop meeting out justice in that way and everyone will kind of understand it. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a black and white represent. You know what I'm saying? There, there's a subtlety. There's a degree, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not going to be the same with, with the first couple of players when you have some rope. When you run out of rope... Who are you helping if you keep binning players? Sure, but you do open yourself up to the to the criticism that you are being arbitrary oh, or playing favorites, and then players. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we don't know. The the one thing are I will in the say, mix. They, they're doing the same calculus. The manager is. They don't want to run. Like, we don't know the transgressions. We don't know the rules. We don't know. It is Willian not reporting before he did what he was maybe allowed to do but didn't report the same as uh, uh, Ozil's transgression or Paul or Pepe's transgression. They're all very different. I, I'm much more of an issue over the Pepe thing than the Willian thing. We, we have a tendency to fill in gaps in information with information that we presume will align to our preferred, our preferred conclusion. So just as you are correct, that we don't know what the nature of the other transgressions were, and they might have been much worse, and this one is much less, it is also possible that, like, not telling the club you're going on a seven-hour flight each way right before a game in COVID times without their approval, even if technically there's a contractual loophole that allows you to do it, it's quite possible that's a worse violation than all the others. I'm just saying that filling in the blanks with information that, that is in the most positive light may may actually be wrong the, the information that that fills in the gaps may actually be worse we don't know so we can't we can only sort yeah, of but give I, our... i'm not giving it the most positive gloss i'm yeah, just I saying i don't know and the only people who can the only people who can judge is arteta being fair is his squad if they think he's being fair and even-handed and adjusting to the circumstances like you don't want to shoot have you ever seen um zulu dawn i think it is and the, uh, they have the battle of you were talking about south africa they have the battle of Rourke's drift and they got this guy locked up in the the their little jailhouse because he's a drunk and he's a lecher and he's unreliable but then the zulus come over the hill and like they've only got like a hundred guys so they let this guy out and they give him a gun and he becomes a war hero and gets a medal guess what in tough times you have to break your non-negotiables or stretch them or adapt them and Guess what? None of the soldiers in that trench thought it was a bad idea to let the fellow out of the jail and give him a gun. Only the people on the ground can assess, is Arteta evolving his rules to suit the circumstances? We we know so little. There are times when we don't know everything. There's times when we know almost nothing. We know almost nothing. Yeah, I, I, I think um, go ahead, go ahead, in Tim. this scenario as well, like the mistake we shouldn't make is to assume that the only recourse of punishment um, or the only punitive measure available is to drop players um, 
or that that's just what Arteta like. We shouldn't assume that Genduzi did one thing wrong and Özil did one thing wrong. Like again, we don't know, but I would suggest that there were there was more than one strike on both of those occasions. So um, again, supporting everything Paul said about we just don't really know enough here. Like if Willian is generally a good egg. Um, and generally works in training and everything like that. And it's a bit like, okay, this is a promotional trip. Technically, you're allowed to do that. But, you know, next time, tell us. Um, you know, we don't we don't know what the conversation was like, whether he was sternly told off, whether he's told off in front of everyone. Um, and maybe that was considered sufficient. Maybe he was fined. Like, there are tiers of punishment you can hand out. And I am, I'm, again, speculating, I'm pretty sure that on this occasion that they would have said something like a totally standard, you know, when you're thinking of using punishment, I'm absolutely certain that something like if you do it again, like you're on the bench or you're not in the squad or whatever, I'm pretty sure something like that was said. And the the players who have been banished, I would imagine are repeat offenders. Mm, and, and I yeah. think that the other quick guess I'd have is the offences Ozil and Genduzi made were undermining the authority of the manager within the squad. Like that's my sense of of what a transgress the biggest transgression is doing doing something you shouldn't do off the pitch is not not the, or in the training ground is not the same as going around undermining the manager and he's going to have no truck with that now that may not be that's speculation but you can see there's a huge the manager could have a completely different reaction to those two scenarios albeit hypothetical mm, I, I have to be careful because i can't stand william and don't want him at arsenal and so mm-hmm. i I am obviously, and I think it was just a terrible, terrible move. And I think that it's a move that the coach pushed for. And that is the lens through which I view this situation. And that lens could lead me to bad conclusions. So I'm careful not to push this much further because it's sort of moot. The club have dealt with it in the way they feel they should deal with it. The coach manager has spoken about it slash dealt with it in the way he feels he needs to. If the, the most important thing, and I said this on the instant reaction pod, and this will be the last thing I'll say about it. The most important thing about the way this situation is handled is that the players feel he continues to hand out justice, discipline, non-negotiables in a fair and equitable manner. As long as the players feel the coach is treating the players in the appropriate way, that's all that matters. Because non-negotiables shouldn't matter to fans. We don't play for Mikel Arteta. What matters with this sort of stuff is that the players are on board. I worry the way you lose a dressing room is you come in and you are a strict disciplinarian, but you don't apply that str- those strict rules evenly and equitably if you don't do that i think you can lose the dressing room but having said that as long as he hasn't and as long as the players are fine with it that's all that matters it may aggravate me i might say well i think maybe he's been unfair with some players and more fair with others and you know what's going on with this player and that player as long as the players in the dressing room feel that the coach has been upfront, has been honest has been fair then this will work if it begins to feel arbitrary having a, a strict disciplinarian culture will never work um clive i'd like to talk to you about pepe unless you want to just have a, a final word on william um no i i think there's i agree both what paul and tim said there are level of issues and yeah i think in a normal week after that flight maybe saka would have started and we, he wouldn't have even played so who knows right but 
what Gwen Doozy did and some of the rumours are quite despicable and the years of stuff I don't want to go there because I, I like my mentions the way they are <laughs> um, but the Gwen Doozy stuff was an absolute direct attack and mocking of the manager and also issues with teammates so sorry mate you've got to go you, I, have to, I have to cut you out of the squad you're, you're a bad egg and it's a shame because football wise he's not a bad player but um, this one is just what, what this one bothers me more, Elliot, is this the whole Chelsea thing, the whole Chelsea way that they're bins for their players. I, I don't like it, although I do quite like Tavo Luis, funny enough. Um, but I don't like it. And there was a little bit, Tim, um, I just want to bring it to you into this one, but I can remember they spoke to Oscar and said, oh, try, trying to get you to Arsenal. Oscar? I mean, flipping hell. You know, I ain't seen him since I don't know when. It's like, I'll come to Arsenal, get paid. It's all right. Just come there. If you, you still be in London... I don't like this perception of taking their rubbish, right? We need to be better, define ourselves appropriately as and, and develop our own Arsenal type of players, right? So um, that's the only thing that bothers me about William. The player's okay. He's not playing well. And I just don't like the perception he can come to Arsenal and stop playing. You know, I don't like that. So that's the thing that bothers me. Yeah, look, I mean, I it's it's tough, right? Because the Willingham thing could be a podcast of itself in terms of what it says about how we're conducting our business and the, the lack of faith it showed in Pepe to begin with and, you know, why Arteta wanted him and how we allocate resources and age curves and all that. We can do it another time. There's international breaks in March. We can talk about that. Uh, the Pepe thing is a pressing issue now. Clive, he played okay in the first half, is my take. It is pretty clear that this is not a guy who's about to just be unleashed and become a whirling dervish for us in our current system. I mean, Aubameyang is a golden boot contender every year. He's been with us. He's got like no, you know, no, what, one penalty goal in the last five games, barely gets a shot in any game. So like he's struggling. Of course, Pepe's struggling. Of course, the front line is struggling. The ball's not getting to them in positions for them to thrive. But having said that, um, what he does in the second half is not okay. Now, it's a headbutt and he should be sent off notwithstanding the fact that the player also sort of shamefully dives to earn it, but that's kind of where football is. My take on it actually is Pepe wanted to go head-to-head, but the player's a little shorter than him, so he kind of lowers his head to go head-to-head, but the player's cleverer than him and falls down the yep. minute his head touches him. So that's, that's and yep. again, that's oh, reading a lot, of, a, a lot of body language. Clive, the thing that I'm more interested in is, first your take on the low point this becomes for Pepe and the extent to which Arteta really pulled no punches whatsoever, referencing, in fact, that he was proud of the cl- how the team responded after Pepe let the team down and that he was furious with Pepe and it's unacceptable. Um, a player he seems to have not had trust in. He's gone out to get a 32-year-old winger to play over Pepe. He gets this chance. Arteta pulls no punches the player had some comments in the international break about not liking the role he had already. So, I mean, how do you see this playing out? Because it, it looks like it's headed in a pretty pretty bad direction. Yeah, so the, the Pepe thing is worth a podcast on it on its own, and it's far more interesting than William because he's our record signing, and we haven't assimilated into the club appropriately, and he hasn't he hasn't adapted himself, right? So, when we when we first were talking about Pepe, um, I was a bit of a fan of, well, I still am a fan of Wilfred Zaha. And the reason why I was, not because I felt he was a better player, because I didn't know, didn't know enough about Pepe. But I just thought he'd, he'd, he'd adapt to the league better. 
and he's an Arsenal man. And I just thought he would fly like Ian Wright. That's my little theory, right? But actually, I think we needed a right winger more. We probably needed a defensive midfielder more. So when Pepe came in, I did my little bit of research, like I do, and he played in a 4-2-3-1 team at, at Lille, where 42% of their attacks came down the right-hand side. So almost flip it to what Arsenal did on the left-hand side and make it the right-hand side. And from when I saw that, I thought, okay, you need to be made to feel important. Well, we're not doing that after, are we? Right? So you need to be the man. You need to be free. You need to be attacking. And he made loads. He, did, he basically played the Yang role that we've seen recently from the left. He played it from the right. He was the guy making the runs in behind. He was the main creator, finisher. That's what he was, right? And also, we decided to do a different system, which is fine. It's part of the football. You can't play your way the whole time. So we give him the ball on the touchline. Now, for Lil, they had fullbacks outside him. So he was never on the touchline, per se. Not too often. So we have a situation where he's on the touchline. So tactically, he can't adapt. So my issue with this whole buy is he's come in, he's had three managers, and I'm not sure if they trust him. The William signing could be an indicator that they don't. But tactically, I don't think we've used him correctly. I don't mean don't think we surround him correctly. And I think he's the most important thing earlier is there's a price against him which has really worn him down. But I don't sense any chemistry with the club. I don't sense a connection. I don't sense that he really wants to be here. He doesn't look happy. Now, I like that style of player, so I want to connect with him. I really want him to play well because I want him to be the player I think he is. But I just don't sense a chemistry. I had some bit of inside info many months ago that off the pitch, he was very disconnected. People didn't know where he went after training. And he was very ghost-like at the club. And I mean, I look at the training videos like we all do geekily, and I'm trying to see him happy, trying to see him enjoy himself. He still doesn't speak English after don't know how many months, 18 months at the club now. He can't be fully connected in that style of things neither. There's a there's something just bubbling here that doesn't look good. It doesn't feel right, and it feels like we've made a decision, and he's been a bad decision. I think we made a bad decision straight away from the price. He's a £40 million player. He's not a £70 million player. Simple as that. And we've loaded him up with a poor negotiation. We put him into, into a club that's trying to rebuild and said, you're going to be the shining star to get us back. We haven't given that authority systemically. We've, we've got Lacazette in the way. Or he, should be, he should be partnering with them. If you, if you buy a Pepe, you sell Lacazette. That is, it's that simple. You say, you're going to be our man with Aubameyang. But we don't. We have Lacazette in there. And then we have Willian in there. But the whole thing doesn't feel good. I don't sense a chemistry. I don't sense a link. The, the I don't really want to talk about the action too much because you don't need to be an analyst to work out you fell for a three-car trick. However, I will say there's been a couple of things that have shown a bit of frailties in our territory last week. There's two things. When he spoke about the leak that came out of the dressing room with Louise and Tobias last week, he showed a really serious, ruthless face and said, I will find the person. I thought, hmm, mate, just chill out, will you? Just chill. Just say, yep, something's happened. Brush it off. Don't make it an issue. Don't make it an issue. And in this game, there's a way to respond to this. You just say, yep, he was inexperienced. I'll speak to him in the dressing room afterwards. It's disappointing, but the team fought back. We held on, blah, 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 blah. You don't say, even though you feel it and we all felt it, you don't say you let the team down. You just don't do it. 
might go in the dressing room and there could be unknown circumstances which he's not aware of that may come out. And I'm not sure anything going to excuse that behaviour, but there could be extenuating circumstances. You just cover it. You know, I have something in my mind, I call it the air hostess syndrome. When you're on a plane and you, you're going through turbulence, the first thing you do is you look up at the air hostess and if she's smiling, you carry on. But you say to yourself, you know what, she's all right. She's on a plane every day. I'm going to be all right. If the air hostess starts panicking, you start panicking. <laughs> Don't panic. Just keep calm. That's the the, this is the first. Is on Vicodin club. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's the first sign. That's a that's a sign of leadership, and I really praise Arteta for his leadership, his man management, and how he's trying to drive something into the club, which I think it desperately needs, which is a set of standards, right? But there's a, there's comes a, there's a moment here that I feel he's showing a little bit of inexperience, and the youngest manager in the league, that's going to happen. It's whether we accept that and what we do with it. What do we do with it? Yeah. Do we say, well, you know what, you think experience is crap? Or do we say he's inexperienced and, he, and he'll learn from it? Because I watched an any I watched an experienced guy make many mistakes in the last five years of his reign at the club. Do you see what I mean? Of so course, yeah. It depends what we want to do. It depends I... what you want to do. And we're still paying for some of that by now, by the way. When I'm watching I'm watching Timberland Boots, Mustafi, and sorry, Shaka running around our midfield. <laughs> I'm I'm watching that and I'm thinking, we can't even play through midfield because you're so shit. You have to go over the top of you and try and play second ball football. So it depends what we want to do with this. And all I want at the moment, I said I've touched on it earlier on, all I want is tranquility of a one-nil win. I don't like where this is going. Because we're not looking at stuff not looking at football. We're not looking at distances. We're not looking at why our captain isn't playing well. That re- that's really worrying. Like he has the experience. He's been around the club. He knows what's going on. There are things that are, that there are indicators. There are leaks. There are things that are happening which are starting to worry me. And I want to get back to the football. Yeah. Because three months ago or two months ago, we beat Chelsea that FA Cup final. And since then... They've spent about 300 million quid. And Frank Lampard looks like a brilliant coach. And I'm looking at this and thinking, hold on, three months ago, Arteta just coached you off the flipping field, mate. He coached you off the field with the uncoachables and won that game easy. And like, I'm, I'm looking at a few months later and it's, and it's starting to change and I don't like it. We haven't got a Zayech. We haven't got a Havertz. We haven't got Thiago Silva. We haven't got a Werner. These players haven't been bought you know, we've yeah. we've had a, we've had a couple of really good signings, but we're not there yet. But there is some frailties that Arteta showing that reaction in it, which I will be honest with you, they concern me, mate. And I hope he can calm down and get back to his structures and tell the rest of us to get stuffed. Yeah, look, I I can get on a microphone and say I hate William because <laughs> there's no there's no skin in the game there. Mikel Arteta can't afford to say the seventy two million pound record signing for the club who's in a low moment, admittedly, let the team down. He can't say that. He can't. Not unless he's going to go out and say that David Luiz let the team down when he has a dumbass red card and penalty to lose us the game to Manchester City that up to that point we were playing pretty well in. I mean, David Luiz has lost us a couple games all by himself. I don't remember Arteta saying he let the team down. And I get it. Maybe he's just never connected with Pepe. Maybe he's never felt that Pepe has given him what he needs. But there's value destruction here too. Look, you know, you talk about making mistakes. You can make mistakes. If you're Pep Guardiola at City, you can just, 
isolate Leroy Sané because you've got all the money in the world. We can't afford for Pepe to be unsellable. He's on 150,000 pound a week. Could we sell him for 55 million next summer? No way. 35 million? Are we prepared to take a 40 million pound loss on him already? Are we going to get to the point where, like Genduzi, we can't move him at all? And now Arteta's got him frozen out? And now you've got, you've got players left, right, and center who just don't get in the team? Now, I'm not saying that's where we're all. We're, we're not there yet. Long way to go. But you have, you know, this is part of the problem with making him manager and not just coach. When you step up to the mic and say something, you have to be saying it with a mind towards your transfer budget, your sales ability, your purchase ability, because you control all of that. You're in charge of all of that. This doesn't look particularly well handled to me. And none of that excuses Pepe. Pepe cost us. Now, you could argue he didn't because we played better down to 10 men. We were able to play on the counter. Saka comes on. He's brilliant um, and nearly wins us the game. But like, and let's be clear, before the red card, we're being massively outshot, massively outpossessed, and we're lucky to be in the game. So the red card isn't what cost us getting three points in this game. It is a dumb thing. It might have saved us. It, it might have. And I'll tell you something. There's an element to this where Mikel Arteta should maybe consider that like throwing Pepe totally under the bus doesn't address the fact that it was a bad, bad performance prior to the red card. He didn't cost us that game. Uh, Paul, quickly, I, you, you said, you know, because I, 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 I'll ask Tim, I'll ask you about something that you said off mic. So I'll, I'll come to you on that in a minute. But like, I I think that you can clearly say that Pepe has been a bit of a disappointment, and yet you look at his goal numbers and you look at his assist numbers and you say, you know, in a team that's not doing much, the guy still does something. He does. He's not the player we hoped he would be. But in an attack that's not working, he's a player that's doing something. And so I, I think the scapegoating of him has become a little too easy, and I know it's related to price, and we joked around on this pod that his full name is 72 million pound Nikola Pepe, but the, the, the coach here has created a situation now where... If the player was drifting, I don't know how how you reverse that at this point. Yeah, you again a bit like the other thing. You can do it once or twice. We've kind of done it with uh, Ozil, and certainly with Ganduzi, where we did not make it easier to sell him. Mm. Um, and like it, maybe every team has one of those. Uh, you can't keep doing it with seventy million, seventy-two million pound Pepe when. As we talked about on the reaction pod, I defended maybe a little bit of the comparison you made between, say, Bielsa and Arteta, that Arteta is a different brief. And we're a bit more like United, but with less budget. But based on the fact that we have less budget, you can't create these obstacles. Like if Arteta needs to start turning over his his. his squad here, we saw in the summer, we might have a bigger issue getting rid of players than bringing players in, right? We can get players in. We can probably get good players in, but not if we just keep stocking up the bodies and we can't sell them off. He, one of the nice things and the positive things he did at the start was it seemed like he was getting value back into players. Mustafi looked like some somebody saleable. Chaka looked like he'd actually have some value if we were putting him on the market, etc., etc. He was bringing life back into the values of players. And how he plays himself out of a corner on the pitch where tactically he's set up that we create from the back, but now we've got to work out how to play forward. He's got to work out how to play uh, play out from the corner he's painted, him, painted himself in off the pitch and working with Edu to get players out so that he can get the players in he's going to need. If he's going to be with us for a number of years, 
it's as important how he gets players out of the club as how he gets players in. So um, mm. I'm fully with you. My, I was. I think he was rattled, uh, Arteta. I think he overreacted, and I think he did himself harm and did the team harm here. Clearly, there's more th- going on with him and Pepe, as we as we could have uh, guessed than this red card situation, but that was bad. Yeah, uh, uh, it, th- this is the first time looking at his press conferences after the game that I have been disappointed in him. I don't think he handled that well, and I don't think his explanation of what the problems in the game were. The first time I looked at his explanations and thought, hmm, there was a lot of talk about decision making and this, that, and the other, which I think is fine, but but didn't really address. It, di- it didn't speak to me that he had grasped why we struggled in this game. Yeah, and I, I mean, in a in a bit of breaking news that, that sort of breaks your heart a little bit, Nicola Pepe on Instagram, yesterday I have let my team down at a crucial time of the game and there is no excuse for my behavior. I'm deeply sorry and would like to apologize to the fans, my teammates, my coach, and everyone else at the club. Um, you know... Elliot, that's, I'm so glad that's come out, right? Because I'm sitting here thinking, I hope he apologizes, right? Because that's the important thing. And I hope that's come from him and he's not been told to do it. You know, I think it's really important because this could be a turning point, good or bad, right? It could be the moment when you realise, like, I've got to be more serious. Yeah. I've got to be a serious footballer. I can't piss about with Arsenal Football Club. I've got to I've got to do it. I can't do this anymore. Or it could be the moment where it's a prelude to a loan in January and we try to recoup our money by him playing well somewhere else. I'm not sure, but I really hope this is a turning point in a positive direction. I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I look at someone like Granit Xhaka, who did a thing that I think is bad, never apologized, blamed the fans, put an Instagram post in the match day program, was brought back into the fold, held to the bosom of, of Mikel Arteta because he's got grit and determination and honor culture and he gets mad and he cares. And Nicola Pepe's a shy kid trying to make it in a new league with a huge price tag on his on his back. And he hasn't been as good as we'd like because that's football sometimes. And... uh no support, no arm around the shoulder, no protection. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I just don't see this as being right. And again, look, we all see it through the lens of our bias. I admit that. I'm not saying Nicola Pepe has played to the level we needed him to. I think we're at the point now where we have to accept he's probably never going to at Arsenal. Maybe somewhere, but not at Arsenal. But this doesn't feel like, like the approach that's that's going to make it happen. And Tim, I wanted to ask you about this because you talked about it a little off mic. I, I have trouble with something and, and you brought it up and it really struck a, a chord with me. The idea that just because a player is shy and retiring and not gregarious and not a big personality winds up being a reason to think they're not up for the fight. They don't have what it takes. I mean, the irony is this is a shy retiring guy. He pushes a guy, the guy pushes him, he pushes the guy, he tries to put his head to him. The guy drops to the ground. You know, we would be criticizing any player doing this, but I almost think, you know, we don't think of Pepe as fiery. If this was something done by a fiery player, we might be like, well, that's what you get with this fiery player. Like I I think we punish players who are not gregarious and fiery in ways that we don't mm-hmm. punish other players. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's a very toxic culture around football, both very much, I think, probably inside football um, and certainly in the way that we look at it. I, I, I have a real problem, I guess, as an introvert myself with this idea that introverts are mentally weak, um, particularly in the kind of ultra macho world of football. You can say a lot of things about Pepe, right? But, um, you know, you talked about like fiery side and all of that. He He's fiery where it matters on the ball. On the ball, he's not. 
he, you know, he's not shy and retiring. He does things with the ball. Um, in fact, he, he probably tries to do too much with the ball. He's probably too much of an extrovert with the ball and tries too many tricks and tries to beat too many players, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that's the kind of important thing. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think we, and, and it's happened to Ozil to an extent as well. And we, we discussed this on the, the Ozil Patreon pod that, you know, he's, he's an introvert and, um, I think introverts do get punished. I, um, I, you know, I agree with what everyone said. I think, I think it's fine for Arteta to say when he was asked, you know, it's unacceptable because it is. Um, I think the bit where he said when Pepe let the team down, I think that was uh, a bridge too far, even if it's not strictly untrue. I, I, I don't think you go that far. And I think that was, you know, we talked about um, favoritism and I, and, you know, earlier with the kind of the Willian thing. And, and I think that's inconclusive. I, I think there's a, there's definitely a charge of that here where Arteta has brought his baggage with Pepe to the fore where, and, and I think James said this on the Askcast earlier and, and, you know, just to reinforce that, um, I think he explained it very well where Arteta didn't really want to give Pepe this chance because he's frustrated with him and it's not really his type of player, which, which is fine. He's kind of entitled to feel that way, but you know, this was a kind of, um, as I described it to you off Mike Elliott, it's a bit like when you're at a match and you know, you sit near that guy and I guess we, we probably all do it to some degree, but you sit near that guy who hates someone, um, you know, and waits for them to make a mistake. And when they misplace a pass, it's, ah, uh, you know, Walcott or whatever you, you pain in the ass, take him off. Like, you know, it felt like he was waiting. Um, it was family and, uh, for me, Tim. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he, he pounced and, and I wonder if Arteta might regret that. Um, in hindsight and whether he, he he'd not make that second comment not least because I, I'm not sure that that's the way to get a rise out of Pepe and um, if this was April or May or something and we were close to the summer window uh, then maybe you go okay right I'm, I'm gonna try and sell this guy in three weeks so fuck it but it's November there's a lot of football to play we've got Christmas coming up Europa League knockouts we will need Pepe whether he will ever be that 72 million player probably not but you know as you said we can't afford for him to be a zero we need him to be something and um, I I think that I, I think Arteta let his emotion get the better of him and then it becomes a question of you know, I said on the instant reaction pod, how much do you divorce this game from other games? I think that's that's a real question at the moment. Like, are we capable or should we look at things in isolation? Um, and, and so when you look at this situation, it makes you question the way Arteta has handled handled other things, man management wise. And then you start to ask questions. Well, it's OK. It's all very well being an assistant coach. But, you know, when you're the big guy, this is the stuff you deal with. Assistant coaches don't really, you know, do they do a bit of that man management piece, but on a very devolved basis. Um, and this is the experience he doesn't have. And so it, it starts to make you ask those questions. And um, and yeah, I, I, I thought the, the I thought the first comment to say unacceptable, fine. The second comment, not so much. And and I think really um, we we're going to need Pepe. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I felt before yesterday 
you know the, the the kind of grumbles were growing a bit louder but i think generally it was still kind of no this this guy's got talent he might pop but he, he now he's had his Jovino at bradford moment you know he's had his oh my god like that's it like i was i was keeping a lid on it but now he can fuck off kind of thing moment and uh, and i felt like that at the time as well like i, I you know i'm i'm no saint with it but, you know, I'm thinking about it now and I'm just like, we're going to need this guy. I, I don't think he's ever going to be what we want, but we're going to need him, particularly when our attack is so poor. And you know what? We might have to just rely on individual feats attacking wise. And he is one of the few players that is capable of them. And I wonder if Arteta's done some damage there. Time will tell. But um, I think he might he might already regret mm. the comment. I think he might regret it more um, as time goes on. And as I saw that Instagram post and um, that's got control and V written all over it for me, I'm afraid. Oh yeah, of course it does. <laughs> okay, I haven't um, seen it yet. Yeah. I, I would just say, say this just, just real quick. Sorry, sorry, Clive, just, just to, to make the point that like the, obviously Arteta can fix this. He can correct. It's not like it's done. Right. I mean, he can come out and say, the player feels terrible about it and we're here for him and we support him. He's part of our family and he can go put an arm around it. Like, I'm not saying it's done. It, 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 it doesn't feel a great direction. The only other thing I'll say is that like, we just, we have to start considering the way we destroy value at this club. We do not have unlimited resources and whether it's signing 32 million or 32 year old players to three and four year deals who are past it, giving 300,000 a week to strikers going into their thirties and saying, we're sure it'll be fine. And, you know, signing players for 72 million when, you know, Raul gets a little sweetener, whatever the case may be like, you know, Ganduzi being worth nothing. Ozil getting a mint to sit on the sideline, do nothing or not even sit at home. At some point you have to protect your value. You can't just keep destroying value and think that the club can overcome it. And so whatever the outcome of this, we can't let Pepe go the way of a Ganduzi, go the way of an Ozil. That just can't be the outcome. Sorry, Cliff. No, you're absolutely right. We we went through this the other week around the mistakes we made over previous years. I almost want to, you know, forget about it because we can't unfix some of those. But Pepe, we can do something about. What I will say though is this is a this is a coach manager. I don't think he's that much different because I think he's he he manages in a certain style, so he's a manager as far as I'm concerned. He's had an opportunity to grow his education. He sat there in the background of Man City. was a real major point of influence because he's tactically very, very good, in my opinion, and you can see that. It's obvious to be much better when you're at Man City because you've got better players, but then suddenly you have the responsibility. He comes in with his ideas, and he, he, he does a great job, in my opinion, to coach this team to a point where we do some decent stuff towards the end of last season. He's now hit his first sort of management issue, He's, he's got a few problems. He's lost a couple of games that maybe he shouldn't have lost for whatever reasons. People are looking at the data forensically and seeing where his teams are falling down. Teams are I don't know, teams are looking out for him. Teams are stopping him, building out from the back. Teams are pressing certain players. They're man-marking certain players. And he has to overcome this. And this is when he has a decision to make as a manager. What do I do now? Do I stick to what I'm doing, try to make it better? Do I try to coach around the opposition? Actually, I've got a few issues in my own team, so I've actually got a coach around issues in my own team before I even look at the opposition. But he's really coming to a, a fork in the road where he's been challenged as a manager, as a leader, and he's looking a bit stressed. But you know what? He's inexperienced. This is it. This is the moment. This is the moment. We watched Jose Mourinho implode at Manchester United, lose it completely. Just lose it. Take size contract, take it. 
it happens. It's really important how he gets through this and how he comes out the other side. And he needs to lean on some of his experience, overage players and overpaid players. And my worry is, that's a, we've got so many people out of form. I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know where he's coming from. We could all pick a team. We could all pick a system. But there's no spark. The only spark is in the 19-year-old at the moment. You know, with some fullbacks and Gabriel, etc., doing bits and pieces. There's no spark. So I don't know how he's going to manage his way out of this because we've got so many players looking at their boots, and that really concerns me. Yeah, as as we just sort of wrap up and get ready to say goodbye here, I, I think, Paul, before we do, one thing we should just quickly get to is what the reality of the situation is now. It's a penalty goal at Old Trafford that wins us all the points there. Wonderful moment. But in the context of our performances, we're averaging less than an expected goal a game. We've scored no goals from open play in five, just the penalty goal in five Premier League games, no goals uh, other than the penalty at Old Trafford. And I know that counts, by the way. One is three points. Um, a problem with Pepe, some injury concerns, um, you know, William looking like already his Arsenal career is not not going the direction we'd necessarily like it to. Aubameyang, um, is is he looking old or is he just not getting the service? I mean, you'd be the judge. I, I, I'm not ready to write him off by a mile yet, not not even a little bit. But the the fact is Arteta keeps saying he knows we need to score more goals and we keep not scoring any goals, <laughs> not more goals, no goals. Um, I... I've had some people come to me and say he needs time, and he he certainly needs time. And you know, oh, you know, why are we just going to criticize every manager the minute they hit a rough spot? A rough spot. Like the fact is, he's been here basically a season of league games now, and during that time, the attack has been bad from an underlying standpoint, pretty much the entire time. And this season, you know, even worse. At, at what point is is the the set of issues we are confronting with the attack? going to reach the level that you really start to develop some serious concerns about it being correctable. Paul, sorry. <laughs> I know that mute button's a little sticky, buddy. Get out the lawnmower. Yeah. Shave around it. There you go. Yeah, Push yeah. And, and, and the internet lag as well. As oh, well. Yeah. Look, mm -hmm. I, I think like we're going to have loads of conversations around this on the pod and off the pod. I think it, the only... To me, the, the driving question is at what stage... And it just, it just ends up sh shifting uh, what what the central word is. But at what stage do the players uh, give up on the manager? Because at Arsenal Football Club, we're kind of dug in, and we're we're not quick to move managers. We know what happened with Emery, right? He wasn't going. Now, okay, it was under Raoul, so you could say, oh well, it's this isn't Raoul anymore. Uh, but kind of this club does not push to get rid of managers quickly. And what happened with Emery was not that performances went down or uh, that, you know, the style was uninspiring. It was that the players said, this shit ain't working. And that's really the question here. Maybe it ends up in the same question anyway. But at what stage do the players give up on Arteta that this isn't working you got to be making progress. You got to move forward, or it just stagnates, and you know the nose of the plane dips, and you go into a tailspin, which is what happened with with Emery. Uh, 
And Raul was the last, apparently, to spot this. But and wh- how he spotted it, the players basically gave up on the manager. Um, we'll be very slow to lose the dressing room at Arsenal. Uh, but uh, it, obviously, this is something that can kind of gradually erode over time. So um, maybe it doesn't just hit a cliff. Um, from my standpoint, he's going to get January and he's going to get the next summer window. And then it'll, he's kind of got an Emery situation where he's got to pursue. Uh, it could exactly map out to the Emery scenario. And what he's got to do is come out of January and the summer and get players out the door. Don't destroy value. Get the players he needs in the door um, and come come into next season with the team getting stronger. You know, a lot of us discussed Emery but the scenario we didn't come up with was that Emery would get worse in his second season. He got worse. That's why he got binned. Um, and so that's really Arteta's challenge. He needs to show progress after the next summer window. I'm sure a lot of people are very frustrated with the idea if of putting up with this, if that's how they feel about it, till next summer and into next season. But I think that's the reality of the situation. I, I I think the players will stick with them this season. I think they'll stick with them for the start of next season. But there needs to be progress. So that's that's. I don't know if that's the exact answer to your question, but as I've been thinking about it over the last week, that's what I think it comes down to. It could be a very close parallel to the Emery situation and his challenge is to come out of the summer with the players. He, I mean, the better thing is that he's a manager, not a coach. So if he wanted Zaha, he'd get Zaha, not Pepe. And that could have been critical for Emery. Uh, it wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't have taken that much for him to at least be as good as he was the previous season. It was probably just a couple of players that he wanted um, that would have at least kept him at the level he was before, and maybe added a little bit. You know, unfortunately, he got worse, um, and that's Arteta's challenge. He's got to make progress after next summer. Yeah. Uh, so, so then, Tim, this is it. Last bit, and it can be just a couple sentences if you want. Um, I I don't think we have a great squad. Um I think it it's <laughs> it's potentially a lot worse than maybe I I realized, but it's better than no goals from open play in five games. It's better than less mm-hmm. than an expected goal game. It's better than eight, nine shots a game. So are you of the opinion that Arteta has the players to be better enough? That he should be. I'm not asking the question right, but I think you get the, the the sense of it, which is, are the players just not good enough for Arteta to produce something that would satisfy us from a performance standpoint, or or do you feel that he has to and can do better with this group? I think he has to and can do better with this group. It, it, you're right; it's not an amazing squad. I don't believe in my heart it's eleventh. And I know, like the Premier League table is very congested at the moment, and Man City are thirteenth, and I think Man United are below us or one place above us. Like, mm. um, and and Tottenham are top, and that that just can't happen in any universe that I live in. <laughs> um, so. So, uh, like, I, you know, I'm not sure they're... I, I'm not, I'm not, look, I said this pre-season, I'm not sure they're much better than sixth. 
um, or fifth. I, I think that that's probably about their level, more or less. I think a lot of the players or some of the players are made to look worse because it's an ill-fitting team. When you really take um, a thousand-foot view on it and you look back at the last two years and you look at this attack and Arsenal have, like a lot of change has happened the attack is completely different now. It started with Walcott and Giroud going and Sanchez going all in one window, by the way, in January. Like, how unprecedented is that? Um, and then, like, Ozil's come out and Ramsey's come out. Like, it, it's been a... Iwobi. Yeah, Mkhitaryan, Awobi. Like, it, it's been a real... Like, it, it's been whatever... Well, a bloody revolution. Mm. Um, I was going to say whatever the opposite of a bloodless revolution is. Like, a lot of change has happened in a lot of time. I, I don't believe in my heart that Willian, Lacazette um, and Pepe are, are this bad. I just don't. Um, I've seen Willian. I've seen a lot of Willian. He's better than this. You know, Lacazette might be washed or he might be over the hill or whatever. I still think he's better than this. Aubameyang's definitely better than this. Pepe's def- definitely better than this. Uh, you know, I think there are some structural issues with the midfield, um, with how quickly we get the ball into them up front. Like, this isn't an easy job for Arteta for the same reasons it wasn't an easy job for Emery. Um, but we're at a real crossroads um at the moment and i was thinking about something earlier you know about arsenal deciding to go long against leeds and and it depends on how you look at that you could look at that and say okay fair enough he had rob holding not david louise um you know he he didn't have party he didn't have you know he did he couldn't start saka so do you applaud his pragmatism or do you look at that as him starting to lose faith um in in his kind of ideals and and the players he's got like was that the first was that the first little toe in the Emery ocean? The kind of, oh shit, I haven't got the players to play the football I need. So do I change the players or do I change the football? And broadly, this is like the third different system maybe we've had under Arteta. And mm. I'm not criticizing him for that because it's a hodgepodge of a squad. And, you know, he has my sympathy for the same reason that Emery had my sympathy. Emery was still the wrong man for the job. And that 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 became kind of true over time. I think you know we're we're at a bit of a crossroads um, maybe at the moment as Clive said this is the first real challenge to Arteta and he's got to deal with it and we we've just got to wait and see how he deals with it um he he might pass it with flying colors he might crack it he might not um we will see in time but the short answer is yes this this squad is better than this it is capable of more more than this when you know when we made the signings of Pepe Lacazette, Aubameyang, certainly. Maybe it was more divided on Willian, but I don't think anyone thought Willian was going to be this bad. You know, people didn't massively debate those signings and they knew those players to some extent. So that tells you that, that these are good players, but that perhaps they're not in the right combinations. They're not performing for whatever reason. And, uh, and and we are better than this, and we were better than this not long ago. We were better than this a couple of months ago. We were better than this in July. Um, you know, we still weren't perfect. We had issues, but those issues have become quite consuming now. And I guess um, my my big concern is, you know, do, where do the players go from here? Do the because the, the players seemed really brought bought in to Arteta, mm. uh, really bought in. You know, some some good players signed new contracts and were very enthusiastic about him. What are they thinking at the moment? Are they thinking, ah, 
maybe this guy isn't who I thought he was. Um, or are they just thinking, no, you know what, this is a rough patch. I believe in the manager. He'll sort it out. And and that in the next couple of months, basically, I, I feel like we're on a seesaw and it's going to go one way or the other in the next couple of months. Yeah. Can and I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Can I just say one last thing? Yeah. Those players, Tim, and I think you're absolutely right, but some of those players, half of them were out the door last January, ready yep. to go. And yep. he turned them around. They've got their contracts, they've got their support, they've got their medals, they've got the good feelings. Now he needs some help from them. He needs some yep. help from them. They need to step up and start playing. I watched some stuff, mate. I'm not sure if we're doing a rewatch. I'm not sure if the partners can take it. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I watched some stuff, mate, about our about our centre forward and when we're progressing down the left hand side and he's and he is not in attacking lines to receive the ball. I'm telling you, he's not. And um you can't hide from me, mate. I tell you, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, come on, guys, we need to step up now. We don't, we don't get out the pitch often enough to be messing about if I'm running lines, right? So there's stuff going on here, but I'm hoping some of these players dig him out because he dug them out, he coached them to a level beyond my expectations, some of them, and produced some good stuff against good sides. Now he needs a bit of help from them. Yeah, I mean, the thing that scares me is it's not a small sample size of bad attacking play now. And that that is the thing that has to get turned around. And I, you know, I think sometimes what happens, especially if you're new at something, when you're really new at something, you may have one way that works for you, that you've thought through, that you really believe in, but you haven't had enough experience to try other things and get, get those things right and have a, you know, you don't have a lot of arrows in your quiver, right? And Mikel Arteta came in and had some ideas, and I think he had some really interesting and exciting ideas about football. But now he may have to change them. Does he have those arrows in his quiver? Does he have the experience to sort of understand the implementation? I mean, you look at Leeds. Leeds mid-game, it's not working. They're getting pressed. They clearly didn't expect us to do that. We don't press high. What do they do? They drop a guy in. He drops in deeper behind the pressing midfielders, and boom, they break the press. They're off and running. They start creating chances and push us back. Can Arteta do that? And I, I mean, I think he can, but it needs to happen now. Let's leave it there. We have a um, a, a, a chance to break the mold <laughs> on Thursday. No? Terrible? All right, fine. Uh, and we'll see if we do it. And then... Ooh. Yeah, it's deserved. It's deserved. Uh, you know what? I'll just crawl off to the shower and shave myself in, in uh, disappointment and, and shame. So we'll leave it at that. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. And Clive's on Twitter, Clive BFC. Thank Clive. Thank you very much. There it is. Paul's on Twitter, pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Who? Woohoo, indeed. All right, guys. Um, just thank you so much for being here. You know, look, it's not always fun, it's not always easy, but it's always together. And we are together, and that is what matters. So I hope you enjoy that. And uh, we'll be back with plenty, plenty more this week. If you want to take your mind off things over on Patreon, we have a scouting video of Dominic Sobersly so you can uh, see what a good, talented young player looks like who will inevitably wind up somewhere else. In any event, uh, have a good couple of days away from the football. Hopefully, maybe watch a little Champions League and cry silently in the corner and then get ready for us to break the mold on Thursday. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Mold new. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. 
My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.